The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Seated and get started this morning. I wanted to wait and listen to that whole song because I love that song. Um, But we should get going for the sake of time. I don't see Sheldon yet, who is teaching the second half of this class. Oh, he's coming. Okay, good. There's no rush because I'm... I've got a bit to get through, but let's uh, let's pray and then we'll get into the this next par- portion of our membership class this morning. Father, I just first just come before you and praise you for who you are. Uh, just thank you uh, for your church. Thank you that we can come together uh, as your people and worship you. Thank you, Father, for uh, your church and that. It provides us uh, a family uh, that as much as the reality of the universal church is is true, the local expression uh, of your church allows us to uh, feel uh, what it is to be a member of your family, to be uh, brothers and sisters, to call you father. Father, I just pray that as we look at these various details, uh, distinctions about our church in this membership class that we would honor and glorify you. Help us always uh, to to strive um, to maintain the unity that you have given us in Christ, uh, that we would see the, the necessity of each individual member of this church and uh, love love one another well, to esteem others more highly than ourselves. We just pray for your strength as we come before uh, the study this morning, before your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this first uh, portion uh, of our membership class deals with what it means to be confessional. And I think most everyone here, uh, because most of you are members, have been around long enough to probably uh, kind of have a somewhat uh, reasonable idea of what it means to be confessional, but that's what this portion of the class is going to be working through. We're going to be answering some of those questions, and John last week uh, kind of touched on some of these things, so there's going to be a little bit uh, repeating, but first off, is there anyone uh, who is brand new to what it means to be confessional? Awesome. Okay, Sheldon, you ready? It's good. <laughs> uh, so for those of you, uh, most of you should know, our, our church does have a confession attached uh, to our statement of faith, the, the 1689 London Baptist Confession. And there's a few things I just want to look at uh, to kind of help us understand why we, we believe it's important to be a confessional church. So the a common thing that's kind of put out there uh, in the church at large is this idea that doctrine divides. So people say doctrine divides, it's love that unites. We, we ought, ought not to divide over these doctrinal issues. That's just bad. Well, I actually believe and we believe as a church, it's, it's the opposite. And we're going to talk about this in the sermon today, how how even do we define love? What does love look like? How does that, what are the commands that were given in scripture to know how we ought to love God and love neighbor? Doctrine, I, I would argue, actually unites. Doctrine unites. We, we can stand as a church, say these are the things that we believe, even as we think, and we'll get into in a second, things like the kind of more short and concise Apostles' Creed, that unites people together because you can say these are, these are these things that we believe constitute a Christian, constitute the church. This is our set of beliefs that, beliefs that we say Holy Scripture declares, these truths. So we can unite around that. As a local church, we and, and having a confession attached uh, to, uh, to our uh, statement of faith, See, this helps us to actually unite because we can say these are the things that we hold to as a church. So as, as someone is coming in new to our context, and Sheldon's going to get more into this as far as primary, secondary, and tertiary, but in, in general, 
And you say, what do you, so well, what does this church believe? And we can say, well, here's our statement of faith, and here, here is a confession that we hold to. And that can make it really clear pretty quickly kind of where we stand as a church, where, um, you know, if, if someone's coming from a, from a, a Methodist church, they very quickly realize that where they're coming from what is likely a more Arminian view of theology, that it's man's work to attain salvation, that we have the choice to actually choose God, that that's what we must do. We are the opposite of that. We are more Calvinistic in our thinking. Our, our confession makes that very clear. Our statement of faith makes that very clear. So they can know. And if their conviction is no, man is the one who, who is the, the agent of choice here then they might realize, okay, they need a fellowship maybe at the, the church across the street. It's, it's not necessarily dividing in, in the sense, it's more uniting. We are, as a local uh, expression of Christ's church, we are able to gather in more like, being like-minded together as we say, these are the things that we believe. What, what actually divides is, is sin, is... Um, we, we get, as James talks about, we start focusing more on ourselves than others. And when we run after our selfishness and pride, those are the things that, that divide. Doctrine doesn't need to divide. Just break, breaking down a few things so we have an understanding. And John, John did this briefly last week. We want to just look at creeds, confessions, and catechisms so we kind of have an understanding of the categories. So creeds, the first idea is everyone has a creed, whether you say you have a creed or not. Even those, those people who say no creed but Christ, that's their creed. They, they, have a, they have a special creed. It's a short one and doesn't give very much detail. And they say no creed but Christ. Uh, creeds are shorter and um, more, I guess, broad. Like if you, an example of this is if you go to a number of um, uh, m maybe parachurch organizations, ministries that aren't necessarily attached to a church, and you just kind of want to know what they believe. A lot of times those organizations will, you say, what, what do they believe? And they'll just list the Apostles' Creed. That's it. They're saying, we believe in these, these basics of the Christian faith. It's very broad, but a number of uh, churches, true churches, can unite under that creed. Saying, yeah, we, we agree with, a, with the Apostles' Creed. Um, so every, everyone has a creed. Now, as we think about confessions and just kind of what we believe in general, you have to put what you believe into words. So even if you say, well, we believe the Bible, okay, well, we have to define that somewhat because you can look at, you, you and the person next to you can look at the same passage and come to different conclusions. We, we, uh, we need to have a, a set of beliefs. So if you come into a church, you're brand new, and you might ask, you know, what, what are your basic beliefs? You're going to expect some sort of answer from any church that you go to. Uh, to find out about their basic beliefs. And most churches, as I've already mentioned, have a statement of faith. So we have to deal with the question about creeds and confessions. If they are a, are creeds and confessions, catechisms, are these kind of extra biblical in the sense of that they're, they're not scripture, are they uh, a violation of what we would say of sola scriptura? Scripture alone, are they a violation of that? We think of 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is profitable. We, we, we know the, the uh, depth of scripture and what scripture gives us, but we need to think through a couple things just first off on a common sense level. First off, God doesn't call uh, church leaders to simply read the Bible. He doesn't call us to gather together and simply just to stand up and read from the Bible. We are actually called to teach. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all these passages, but uh, 
1 Timothy 4.13, Paul's admonition to Timothy as a pastor to, to preach the word. In Nehemiah 8, we see this example of Ezra getting up kind of on a platform with a pulpit. There's some biblical basis to, to uh, the preacher being up high. It's really about the word being up high. But Ezra stands up to read the law of God. And then Ezra and the, the Levites explain to the people what it means. So it's not only in the reading of the word, but also in the explanation of it. We are called to explain it. And that, ex, that explanation is kind of, you know, as uh, if you think of your school days and your teacher says, explain this kind of principle in your own words. <laughs> like, oh, why can't I just parrot the, the thing I memorized? That's so much easier. Okay, I have to explain this in my own words. Well, that's kind of what explaining this, the text of Scripture is. We are called to explain it in words that aren't necessarily found directly in Scripture, but they still have Scripture to back them up. So we accept, uh, for those who are kind of new to confessionalism and maybe having a difficult time thinking that something is, uh, could possibly be attached to kind of clarify what we believe, when we should say, well, isn't the Bible good enough? The, the understanding is that, first off, logically, we always use words that are outside of the Bible as we explain the text of Scripture. And that's exactly what these uh, confessions are doing. Even the songs we sing on Sunday morning, as we stand up to, to sing songs together, our songs should be biblical. They should be based on Scripture. They should, they should proclaim the truth of Scripture and not our own truth. But our, the very songs we sing then are, in essence, a, a, a confession of what Scripture says. It's not word for word necessarily. Sometimes we'll sing a, a, a psalm set to, uh, set to music. Sometimes that's like word for word. But oftentimes what we are singing are uh, kind of concise confessions about Scripture. As uh, one pastor says, Whenever we sing simple songs to our children, such as, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, we have formulated a creedal statement about Jesus, his love, the object of his love, our assurance of his love, and the nature of biblical authority. Kind of all, all in that little, that little children's song that we might think is just so childish. <laughs> We are, we are proclaiming certain key truths of Scripture, even in a simple song. The, just to read, since this is about our confession, I should probably read a couple things from, from our confession. The London Baptist Confession, chapter 1 on the Holy Scriptures, paragraph 10, says, The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the holy scripture delivered by the spirit into which scripture so delivered our faith is finally resolved. So the, the final authority as whether it's uh, us as teachers in a Sunday school class or preaching up here at the pulpit, what we sing in our songs, all the final authority of whether these things are true or not is Scripture. And we should be striving always in what we sing and what we teach and what we preach to make sure that we are aligning with what Scripture says. Scripture is our final authority. I love what the Belgic Confession, this is a little bit of a lengthier one, but the Belgic Confession uh, in Article 7 says this, we believe that this holy scripture contains the will of God completely and that everything one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. For since the entire manner of service which God requires of us is described in it at great length, no one, even an apostle or an angel from heaven, as Paul says, ought to teach other than what the holy scriptures have already taught us. For since it is forbidden to add or subtract from the word of God, this plainly demonstrates the teaching is perfect and complete in all respects. Therefore, we must not consider human writings, 
no matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to the, the divine writings. Nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of time or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions about the truth of God, for truth is above everything else. For all human beings, I, I, I love the tone of the Belgic Confession. Listen to this. For all human beings are liars by nature and more vain than vanity itself. Therefore, we reject with all our hearts everything that does not agree with this infallible rule. As we are taught to do by the apostles when they say, test the spirits to see if they are of God. And also, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. So we need to recognize that we are liars by nature. We Sin deceives us. Sin clouds our judgment. So it is of vital importance that we kind of stake, uh, stake truth in the place of Scripture. We understand Scripture is the very word of God. We, uh, I, th I think I'm going to talk about this in the sermon this morning, but we are very prone to have our thinking conformed to the culture and world around us and to our, our environment. The only thing that can keep us grounded is the truth of God's word. And this is where we think about our, the importance of our confessions, because we do, cons we do realize that the way certain passages of God's word are taught and understood are very different here than the church across the street. There's, there is a great difference, uh, especially when we get into the area of salvation. So the importance of the confession is the confession takes what the, the original kind of authors, if we think first to our document, the London Baptist Confession, which kind of had, uh, was first written as the Westminster Confession of Faith, then it had went through uh, the congregational churches as the, the Savoy Declaration. And then the, the London Baptists uh, kind of then took it and uh, edited it a little bit. But even in the preface to the London Baptist Confession, they talk about how important it is for uh, the, the very reason that they chose the, the document that they used was because we with the uh, Reformed and Presbyterian and the Congregationalists in the vast majority of issues are in full agreement. Those things that are, that are especially supreme importance, we are, we are like in lockstep with one another. So they were unashamed to say, hey, this is what we, this is why we are basing it on this. It, it, it wasn't that they're like, hey, let's just steal someone else's confession and we'll just kind of tweak it a little bit. It's like, no, we, we want to purposefully use this because we, and the vast majority of issues, are in agreement. But with a confession, we can take it and say, hey, this is what we believe Scripture says. This is what we believe Scripture teaches. Uh, maybe different, like I said, than the church across the street. So again, creeds are kind of shorter, broader reaching, uh, confessions are, are longer, and they're much longer in length, and they're more narrow. They kind of really zero in on what an individual or a collective group of churches might believe. And then the, the third category is catechisms. These are more for instructional purposes. They're, they're framed around questions and answers. So the, I think John mentioned, we don't have a, a, a great catechism, but the uh, Westminster larger and shorter catechisms are very good. And that's basically taking the, the teachings of the confessions and just putting it in question and answer form, for, especially for children, but really all ages, to kind of in, in, to learn through memorization the truths of Scripture. So what are some reasons we would have a, uh, a confession? Well, one of the first things is to combat error and heresy in the church. If we think about the first, the first council in Scripture, this is in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, as, as Paul and Barnabas are out preaching the good news of Christ, 
the the heresy of Jude, of um, why am I blanking on the the Judaizers kind of came up and started saying, okay, but we have to overlay Christ with the law in the sense that there are still certain ceremonial aspects that you must follow. Like you, the big one was you need to be circumcised. So Paul and Barnabas go back to Jerusalem and this council is formed. And the council kind of goes back and forth about talking about this issue of do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? And they end up landing on the answer of no. That has been done away with. They do not need to be circumcised. And as they, uh, they formulate kind of a little uh, a letter that goes out to the churches to say, hey, these are the things. You don't, you don't need to be circumcised. You need to abstain from sexual impurity, uh, food with blood still in it, and... There's a third thing, and I'm, I'm forgetting what that is right now. But that is kind of, this is the first kind of progression that we see in the church of a council forming. And they look at the truths of Scripture, and they say, this is, what, this is what we believe. This is what the church believes. And they send it out to all the churches, and the churches receive it with joy and uh, continue to grow in the faith. The... Um, so again, just kind of going back to the, that main point is rather than doctrine dividing, creeds, confessions, and catechisms actually unite us. Again, in chapter one of the confession, paragraph seven, it says this, all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means, that just means like reading and understanding, hearing, uh, due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. So basically saying there, there are key truths in scripture that are so clear that even the unlearned through the kind of the basic uses of our senses that God has given us can understand those key truths. But there are some things that are not quite as clear. And that's where uh, these creeds, confessions, and catechisms help kind of get us on the same page. Uh, they help clarify what we believe and differentiate us from others who believe otherwise. They also, this kind of goes to that cultural thing that I was saying earlier, they, they unite us to the historic church. Because again, we as Community Bible Church in 2023 have a tendency to view scripture through a, a lens that is kind of our own cultural lens, what we think is appropriate and not appropriate. Um, so it's important for us through a confession to say, okay, we believe this is what scripture teaches and this is what scripture has always taught. And if we can tether ourselves to that, then we can keep ourselves from wandering off into error and heresy. Um, and an example of this is, I think I might've shared this last time I, I taught this portion of the membership class but one of a little church tour I did as part of one of uh, um, a history class with my seminary, we went out uh, to South Carolina and out on the coast on one of the little islands out there. I think it's like the, one of the oldest church buildings in the U, in the U.S. It survived wars. It has survived flooding and, and all sorts of things. And it's this little wooden, it's not like a grand stone structure, it's this little wooden church. And it is in, it's a church in the um, uh, pre, uh, Presbyterian um, denomination. But it is a very liberal, very liberal one. Uh, there's a number of things uh, that they just stand in complete opposition to kind of what we would say 
is kind of what the, a, a church should stand for. And my professor on one of the trips he made out there met an older gentleman who had kind of been in the church his entire life. And they were having a, con a conversation. And again, this is a Presbyterian church which ties itself to the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's kind of their, their historic document. What makes one of the things that makes Presbyterians Presbyterians is their tie to the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. So that my professor and this older gentleman are having a conversation and this, this man stops the professor at one point. Again, this guy has been in this church his entire life. He says, hey, really quick, what's this Westminster Confession you keep talking about? Well, it's no wonder that this church has gone so off, has gone so far into liberalism. And when I talk about liberalism, I'm talking about like liberalism as it relates to Christianity, where they say the word of God isn't really infallible. The word of God is full of errors. We, don't, we can't really know what is truth. That's, that's the liberalism I'm talking about. And it's no wonder that it could get to that place because they've, they've cut their ties. They've cut that tether to the historic faith when they don't, they don't even know their own confessions. So confessions help us uh, to kind of wade through all the noise, uh, as the Belgian Confession said, kind of all the, the lies that we get to, and the, the seat that we put on our own heart and help us to stand firm in what we believe is clear in Scripture. You need to remember there's, there's nothing uh, new under the sun. The truth about God doesn't change, as Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Quickly, so Sheldon can get up here and do his portion. Um, the, the confessions also help us just to remember that we don't, we don't read and we shouldn't read scriptures as just kind of individuals. I think I said this in the teaching class on a couple Saturdays ago. We don't, we should never come to scripture and read it as though we are the first ones reading it. And we're gonna kind of formulate our own systematic theology, our own thoughts about who, who God is because we are, we're the first ones and we're discovering this truth. No, this, this isn't like maybe the, the modern sciences that are, ever evolving and kind of still trying to land on exactly what is truth. This is, as I think Larry has reminded me, it, they, it's medical practice because they're constantly practicing things. They're trying to find out what works and what doesn't work. And what they, what they think works in 2023 may in 2043 be laughed at, much like now we laugh at bloodletting back in the day. It's ever evolving. This doesn't change. God doesn't change. The truth of his word doesn't change. So we, we, it's important for us to kind of be tethered to the truth of God's word, to keep ourselves from fleeing uh, after what kind of our more modern minds think is, is new and interesting. This is no. We need, we, we need to uh, tie ourselves to God's word. And for our church, that's one reason we've tethered ourselves to the London Baptist Confession is because we want to make sure that we, we believe that what it teaches is uh, uh, a summary, a concise kind of systematic theology of sorts of what, believing what, it, what God's word teaches. So we want to hold to that. One last quote uh, from a, a church historian, he says, these creeds, confessions, and catechisms do not possess equal standing with scripture. Nothing could rise to the level of this library of 66 books from God. Creeds, confessions, and catechisms are useful only to the extent that they reproduce faithfully the teaching of scripture itself. But they serve Christians well in their attempt to understand one another better. They help us to listen quietly when we too often talk noisily. I love that last line because we can get, kind of quickly get caught up in just the noise of our own voices instead of saying, hey, this is, 
this is what scripture actually teaches, and we believe these things to be true. So I've gone a little bit long. I started a little bit late, though. Now we're going to let Sheldon kind of take the next half of the class. A lot of information to fly through. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everybody. Is this thing on? Can you hear me okay? I'm not used to holding this, so if I start like just give me the... Uh, all right, so this part of, the, of our membership class is called, What Are We Willing to Fight For? And it really just tails right on to, or uh, meshes right in with uh, what Jeremy was just talking about. Um, <clears throat> so where, you know, in the, we, we, we just said, well, confessions, creeds, con uh, those are secondary to scripture, but they are summarizing scripture. Um, so as a, as a source, they're valuable. Uh, what, well, where does this title, what are we willing to fight for come from? So let's look in our Bibles real quick. You got your Bible? Uh, look to Jude 1, 3. Jude only has one chapter. So some people say this is Jude 3, but I find that confusing as an engineer. Who can read Jude 1-3 very loudly? It's the last book before Revelation. If you're looking for it, it's one page. I'm still looking for it. I can't find it. Here it is. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to read it loudly then. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So this word contend, what's it mean? Fight. Fight. There's an old movie most of you haven't seen where the, guy, the famous line from this movie is, I could have been a contender. And uh, it's, a, it's a guy who's a boxer, and he threw a fight, and he blew his whole career, and then he realized he could have kept fighting, and he could have kept winning. He could have been a contender. It was about fighting and uh, contending for the faith. And if we read Jude, it would be a, an, uh, a study in that. Uh, so we would say, well, when you're contending for the faith, there's things that you, you know, kind of the things you would fight for, and then there's the things that those are okay. We can, we can disagree on certain things here among ourselves as members of a local body. We, can, we don't have to agree on every single thing, and we probably don't, right? We vote different ways. We, I mean, there's a lot of things on which we don't agree, you know? Ford versus Chevy. Okay. So uh, that, there, things we don't agree with, but no matter what truck we drive, we can still fellowship together and serve shoulder to shoulder here in this local fellowship with unity, with love for each other. So um, there, are, there are things that we sort of need to believe to have unity. And many of those things are found, you know, they're all found in the Bible and many of them are summarized in the confessions. <clears throat> and then there's things that we can, we don't have to agree on and it's okay. Uh, so we have this concept of primary things. Those would be the things we would fight for, contend for. And then secondary things, which can be important. And then tertiary things like the truck that aren't in the Bible. Like there's not, I looked, because it could be, it would be, it would be important to know. It's not in there. So uh, those, those are tertiary things, we would say. Yes, sir. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We can let that one go. We let that one go. That one go. Hold it. Not that one. Right. So uh, that's the idea. Thank you. 
Damien, uh, so uh, now, just let's just look at another piece of scripture. First uh, Corinthians 15, three through seven. First Corinthians, this microphone is making me do my Bible one-handed. I should have put markers. First Corinthians 15. Okay. This is Paul writing to the first Corinthians. Second Corinthians came later. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, or didn't really believe. Verse three here. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul's describing some things as of first importance. Okay, so, and by the way, what did he, what were some things he described as first importance? Shout them out. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. Raised again on the third day. All of which, according to the scriptures. And then, hey, he was seen by a lot of people who you could still track down and ask about it. Okay. So he, this really happened. So it's a little bit like Jesus loves me. There is a lot of creed in there. There's a lot of key truths of Christianity in there and there. And Paul calls them all things of first importance. Okay, so there's things of first importance. We're gonna come back to like, okay, how did, you know, are there other things? Anybody think there's some other things besides those five he mentioned? Yeah, there are other things of first importance. All right, so we'll come back to uh, you know, how we, how we figure those out. Now I want you to look at Romans 14, 1 through 12. One-handed Bible drill. 14, 1 through 12. For as the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. As for the one who is weak in faith, Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. All right, I'm going to skip down to verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Uh, now I want you to dip, 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 dip down here. Verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're speeding through this, sorry. We have a limited amount of time. So, uh, so Paul's giving some examples of things that are of secondary importance, right? What was one? Food, certain foods you shouldn't eat. So some of the Christians here in uh, Romans were saying, hey, 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 that food you shouldn't eat because it was, it's from an animal that was sacrificed to a, an idol. That was a big deal in Corinth, okay? And, uh, <clears throat> and then there were some people that said, well, we need to observe such and such a holiday. Like Christmas is on December 25th and we're gonna celebrate it. And if you 
This made me think of Chick-fil-A on Sunday, sorry. Okay, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna have our store open on Sunday. We're not gonna, we're gonna not work on Christmas Day. Other people would say, look, uh, Christmas Day, <clears throat> you know, that's a tradition. If you gotta go work on Christmas Day, that's not a sin. Okay, so I'm just making that one up. But it was, this holiday thing was, I think was kinda like that would be to us. And uh, <clears throat> so Paul's saying, hey, hey, don't let this divide you up in your local church. In fact, you should sort of protect each other. He goes on later in that passage, which we don't have time to cover today, and talks about, you know, how, to, how we should sort of almost respect each other's differences that are secondary like that. Like, and if, if something we're gonna do would really offend somebody, like if I say, well, that's secondary, so I'm going to work on Christmas Day, that that would be a really wrong thing for me to do. I'd be like offending them almost on purpose, wouldn't I? That, you know, he's saying if, they, if, if they're gonna think poorly of you for the sake of your unity of the church, I just said we weren't gonna go into this and I'm going into it. Okay, well then I won't work on Christmas Day because I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna cause you trouble. All right, that's a nif- different subject really. But we can, the main, subject, the main thing is, so those of us that have these different uh, secondary uh, beliefs, uh, we respect each other for that. We, we, we don't have to split the church over that. We can go to different ch- churches over those. We can work together in one church and love each other. And you can tell, so am I saying they're not important? No, actually then God says, no, these are important. He says, if you feel like you shouldn't eat that, because it was sacrificed to an idol or, or you know, what you think the Bible is teaching you not to eat that, then you better not eat it. God says, if you think it's a sin and then you go ahead and do it, how are you gonna explain that to me, says God. Okay, so those, these things are important, but they, they're secondary. We still can fellowship, in fact, he's, t- and he's telling us to fellowship together in spite of these kind of things. So those are secondary things. Uh, that's an example of a secondary thing. Uh, now, secondary things can be important. Some of the things Jeremy was talking about, uh, we would consider they're secondary things, like uh, the Westminster Confession versus the London Baptist Confession. There's a few differences in there, like about baptism, as you might suspect, okay? And that's important enough that even though it's a secondary thing, we would say there's, there are brothers in Christ. We can serve side by side. We don't believe that they're not part of the universal church over there uh, at the Presbyterian church. But, uh, <clears throat> but it's better for us, actually, if we're gonna worship together in unity, some of these things are so different, even though they're secondary, they're so different that we should probably, if we have the, if we have the opportunity, it would make sense for us to be in two different congregations, okay? Like, so for example, if someone comes in here and says, I believe that, I have, I have this newborn baby, and I believe newborn babies should be baptized. And we'd say, well, um, we don't do that here. But they, so can they, you know, they wanna keep coming here with their newborn baby that's not baptized? Probably not. They wanna, we'll probably friendly direct them down to the nearest, uh, Presbyterian Church, well, not the nearest one. <laughs> anyway, one of the local ones. And uh, <clears throat> so that's a secondary matter also, but, but it divides up, uh, divides into uh, uh, denominations and different local bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, right. Right, right. And that's a really good point. I don't know if everybody could hear uh, Damien there, but it's actually, like, what he was saying is, you know, since we have the luxury of that Presbyterian church down the street that we could direct such a person to, then that's good. But if we didn't, like if they said, well, in every other respect, I really love you guys, or my, you know, I wanna go here, we'd be like, hey, that's okay. If you're okay with 
with you know us not doing that. We're okay with you not thinking that you know not agreeing with us on that. You want to serve if you want to be here with us, right? So and in fact, uh, my brother, and this was true in the Corinthians, in the Corinthian neighborhood there where Paul's writing this stuff to, there was only one church. If you were a believer, a Christian, there was only one church. There was not these different churches down the road. So there was only one church. My brother teaches uh, in the only one church <laughs> uh, of, that's evangelical Christian on an on a, on a island with a population of about 20,000 people. So they have, they have this kind of big tent. There's people in that church that come from all these, all these different major denominations. Everything, basically, almost everything Protestant, basically everything but Catholicism is in that church. And uh, maybe, there's one, maybe there's one other church that's uh, on the island that's, uh, yeah, it's not English speaking, right? Yeah. And do they have a, there might be a um, charismatic church, but I think it's also not English speaking. So I think in the English-speaking church, there might even be some charismatic people in there. But that's all. They just say, hey, I don't have to have that. And the church says, nope, you don't have to have that. We can all worship and serve together. So that's so secondary, like how it rolls out might depend on what, you know, what's available sort of locally in terms of Christians serving and working, worshiping together. Uh, okay, we're, we're on time here. So there are some... Beyond secondary, there's some stuff we call tertiary. You know, stuck in your minds now, Ford versus Chevy. Okay, probably no one even knows what I'm talking about. That's, a, that's such a, sorry, that's a, I, grew, I went to high school in the country. All right, so uh, let's look up 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, sorry, later, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Some of you have it memorized. Okay, we could all set it together in, from memory. What did I do? Did I give you the wrong reference? 2 Timothy 3, 16. There it is. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, the Bible is containing everything we need. It needs explaining, but it's in there, right? It's needs, it may need explaining. Some of, some of it we, we can't even agree on the explanation. Uh, nobody can agree on this. There's some stuff the Bible says. We're just like, well, we don't know exactly what that's talking about. And there's, broad, there's like 10 different interpretations of this one verse, but nobody will fight over it. No one will fight over any of these because they all know they're just guesswork almost. All right, so <clears throat> if it's in the Bible, I mean, the Bible has everything in it we need. So if it's in the Bible, I'm going to put it this way to you. If it's in the Bible, it's either primary or it's secondary. That may be, that may be kind of engineering thinking, Larry, not medical. If it's in the Bible... It's God's word, it's true, it's there, it's something suitable to help us. Uh, <clears throat> so it must be important. God wrote, you know, God saw to it that it was delivered to us. Delivered to the saints, once for all delivered to the saints. So it's either, you know, stuff we get out of the Bible is either primary or secondary. So this is where we come up with tertiary. If it's not primary or secondary, it's tertiary. It's not in the Bible. So, quickly, besides my dumb example, what's an example of something that's not in the Bible that, that Christians don't agree over or, or cluster around different kinds of things? What's an example? Worship style. Worship style. 
Great example, worship style. There's every kind of worship style, right? Good example. What's another example? Color of the carpet. All right. Yes, so if you go into a church as a visitor, say you move to another town, you've got to find a new church. The color of the carpet, you, walk, you visit, the color of the carpet, it's wrong. Don't give them some time. Okay, maybe you wouldn't want to pick your church based on the color of the carpet, would you? But you might never get used to it, but you, might, you wouldn't want to pick. Okay, lucky for us. Over the years, people have not gone away just because of the color of the carpet. All right, so what's another example? How and how often communi communion is administered, right? How and how often, right? There's a lot of different versions of that in churches which we would agree with completely on all the primary matters and most of the secondary matters, okay? Good examples. So these come from uh, traditions, traditions. These come from cultural norms. What's an example of a cultural norm that, that is it's a tertiary matter, but pe people will be either, might not be comfortable in one church or another over it. It's a cultural matter. Besides the music style, that's a cultural matter probably. What's, I was thinking of clothing. Clothing. Flip-flops. A man should at least wear shoes to go to God's church. Okay. All right. Yes, we, it, 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 I'm not going back to that church because the, the minister didn't even have the respect to have a tie on. So that's a thing, and that might make somebody so uncomfortable that they just, they're going to keep looking if they were looking for a church home because where they grew up and, and where some of us grew up, the minister better not be wearing a suit. He, be, he better be wearing a robe, right, a special garment. That's the way they were raised. But that is not in the Bible. Uh, it comes from a, you know, it comes from tradition mostly, if not completely from tradition. So there's uh, personal preferences. That's probably where the music thing comes in. Experts in matters not discussed in scripture, like what should children's Sunday school curricula be like. Okay, it's uh, <clears throat> in some aspects, <laughs> in some aspects. All right, so we have these tertiary matters and very little time. And that was page one of three. No, page one of two. So things of first importance. Let's wrap up with this. So we're not going to be able to have a catalog. I'm not going to hand out things of first importance to you today. However, you can go to the church website and look up our statement of faith and read it right there on your device. And you can, you can also, on the same page, click and read through the London Baptist Confession. And almost anything that, that's found in our, our, our statement of faith, and almost anything in the London Baptist Confession, we would th say is of first importance. What, what's the criteria for first importance? Necessary unto salvation. If it's about the God's plan for salvation, the redemption of lost people, then we're going to consider that of first importance. And it's what the Reformation was about. It's what separated the Protestants from the Catholics and the Reformation. It had, does these matters had to do with how is it that mankind, that people, are redeemed by God? Okay? The, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, okay? The Trinity. In fact, if you read two of the most famous creeds that Jeremy was talking about, the Apostles' Creed, and you read it first, and then read a thing called the Nicene Creed, which is a bit, almost three times longer, that you'll see the big difference is all about the Trinity. Because between those two <coughs> creeds being written, a bunch of stuff came up about how Christ wasn't really fully God. And the, the church fathers were like, time out. 
time out we need then we need to make that more clear what are those creeds about those creeds are about you know jesus says whoever believes in me will have eternal life and those creeds try to summarize what does it mean to believe in jesus i mean if you think about what's in what's important in to believe about jesus to have eternal life you got to really understand who he was why you need him to have eternal life and so forth and so these these things that bear on that in the bible those are the primary matters that those matters separate real christianity from any other form of christianity that's not real and other religions okay primary and uh secondary issues so those are going to be things that aren't clear in scripture they're in scripture and faithful men have studied them and said like like so for example i was reading about one the other day how you how you choose elders i was studying this for a different class and basically the bottom line is the bible does not explain how to choose elders <laughs> so we have had to oh, christians ever since the beginning have had to figure out a process that doesn't contradict scripture and we kind of get hints about how to do it from scripture but every every church basically and this comes down to the local churches has to cook up its own way to come up with elders leaders and uh so that's a, a secondary it's a talked about in the bible there's this famous example but it's about picking deacons okay uh so uh we have things in the bible but you, you you cannot say this is a vital to salvation and b faithful men trying to really explain the bible come down different places on it okay so that's those are secondary things uh issues held for conscience sake like so for example we might have someone who worships with us who does wear a suit and tie every sunday morning because they feel like if they didn't it would be kind of wrong i picked a bad example because we're all trying to think of anyone who we know who does that here in our church and i don't think we have somebody who does that but somebody could be doing that and that would be uh tertiary right we would definitely not want to have hard feelings or go worship somewhere else because of anything about how I, what I feel is proper dress. We used to have uh, a lady who wore a head covering, which is a Christian tradition based on something in the Bible. And you can argue either way on that. Another good example of a, I would say tertiary, because it's, it's to do with tradition. Some people would say that's secondary. And then if they do, guess what? They tend to form their own congregations, right? Because it's pretty weird if you're like the only person, you suppose you were the only woman in here who didn't have on a head covering, okay? But although this woman was the only woman in the, that I'm thinking of would be the only one who was wearing one, but she was very happy to worship with this church for many years, right? So uh, that's a tertiary thing, but it comes into real life, okay? <clears throat> so, so those are things that uh aren't primary or secondary basically default definition of tertiary not found in the bible or not clearly found in the bible and more practiced by tradition than because of of bible i might have picked a bad example with head coverings so uh because there is something in the bible that somebody could say yep yeah, that's that's a command so uh all right well we're out of time so uh, and I feel like we could talk a, long more, a lot more time, especially give more examples. For the sake of time, I'll wrap us up. Um, so let's pray. <clears throat> Dear God, thank you for this uh, great, beautiful morning you've given us, and especially this morning for your church here, your people. Lord, for the fellowship we share in your spirit. Lord, for your word. Uh, Lord, where you've given us everything we need to, to, to know you and to know what we need to know about you and to help us love each other well and honor you in our walk together. 
And Lord, I pray that as we consider our, you know, the things we don't agree on, Lord, that we'd, you'd make us wise uh, as to uh, what's important and what's, if, if whether anything is more important than our, uh, our love for each other and our calling to, to walk together and to serve you together, Lord, and, if, and that you would make us wise uh, and give us unity as a result, Lord, that, that that's the objective, I think, that we would know, um, we would bear with one another for the sake of our unity, for the sake of the m ministry of this church to uh, its members and to the, it's the community it's, you've placed it in. Lord, I just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.